Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, welcome back to the Detroit Is Different podcast. We are back in the studios talking about this fight for justice uh i had one guest my first guest on this series corey williams where we talk directly about police brutality and i'm sure these brothers will have a lot to say about that topic too um someone i've known and knew his father i got kofi kofi kenyatta how you feeling today i'm good what's going on with you brother man everything is everything uh, in this madness you know what i'm saying it's almost like a natural response you always say it's all good but right now the realities of what we know and the pressures of living in america and the the tension mm-hmm. has, is is direct right now it's thicker than it usually is surprisingly uh for most of america to see as what we're witnessing through social media and also traditional media is abundant mm-hmm. and also you brought chad how you doing chad making it through hysteria man i feel that hysteria <laughs> that is the term that uh the great dr amos wilson would use uh and that is one of the master teachers when it comes to understanding the racial dynamics of black and white people i suggest reading mm-hmm. uh, any Amos Wilson. And if you don't feel like reading, you know, Google them up on YouTube. Uh, you'll sit for hours if you mm-hmm. find yourself enthralled in this. And you also have Neely Fuller. You also have Dr. Francis Cress Wilson and so many other master teachers about the rela- race relationships between black people and white people, our oppressors, the people that uh, that enslaved us at one point in time and then some would argue in some ways those same shackles mentally are still here in the vestiges of that mm-hmm. and in that one of the number one primary things people say is we need to protect ourselves we need to guard ourselves and to the natural physical state of protection you got black bottom gun club yes sir black bottom blunt gun club is in full effect for detroit is different i'm definitely not the biggest pro-gun person. I've never really seen guns resolve an issue. So mm-hmm. we've had long discussions and mm-hmm. debates about this before. Mm-hmm. And right now, as I see everything that's going on, this is a topic and a point of interest for many, many people. And I'm like, let's get Kofi, let's get Chad on to talk about this and what is important about our community being armed and being prepared for protecting ourselves physically with guns. Uh, and I'm guessing in other means as well. Uh, martial arts have deep ties to mm-hmm. our people as well. Mm-hmm. So let, let's start with um, let's start with uh, right now with everything that's going on, uh, physical safety and protection in that state. Absolutely. Well, first, what should what should families be thinking? Say it again. What what should what should we be thinking? What should our community be thinking? Yeah, that's an excellent question. But first, thank you for uh, having us on the podcast. Uh, Black Bottom Gun Club is the Detroit chapter of the National African American Gun Association. Uh, National African American Gun Association was founded in 2015, mm-hmm. and Black Bottom Gun Club was founded uh, in 2017. Actually, we have our three-year anniversary coming up on July 14, 2020. Um, Chad, you have anything else to add to the context of the? The background we how we got started with black bottle yeah um so the kofi and i have a relationship from working together in other ventures right we started with um the 180 program working together mm-hmm. we st- then from there we uh 
our, Kofi and I, along with some other friends, launched another nonprofit called the Buying Council. That was uh, around for a little bit. And then in 2017, right when the verdict for Philando Castile from the officer when he was cleared of all charges, we decided um, I, I called Kofi and I was like, what is going on? What's happening? And then we saw a video from another uh, gun rights organization. And it was really uh, disparaging, in my opinion, about the urban community and black folks and the reason why black folks were in the street. It was really disparaging towards those people in, in, in that message, in that message. Right. And so I called Kofi. I said, I said, Kof, what's the move here? Um, and he at the time, he was an instructor with another organization. He took a stand on that. Um, and then from that point. I, lo- I was looking around for different organizations. I came across the National African-American Gun Association and I reached out to them. And after several discussions between myself, the president of the national organization and with Kofi as well, both of us decided to start the Black Bottom Gun Club. Um, we started with a meeting of maybe 10, five, 10 people in August 2017. And as it stands today, we got about 115 members. Um, a lot of the influx has come in as a result of the brutality and racism and murder over the last 60 days or so that we've seen with Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. Um, and it's unfortunate that that's the impetus for the attraction or, or getting involved with uh, protecting ourselves. However, I'm not going to begrudge anyone's reason for doing so. If that's what spurred them to action to be more self-determined, mm-hmm. to take care of themselves and their family and want to be able to take care of their community. I'm with it. Uh, our, our objective in our club is really to kind of steer folks in the right direction towards training and advocacy and blending those two things together. And I think I was just going to add, I, I think what we're seeing now is what you know everyone in this room has always known is that we can't rely on the American government. We can't rely on its enforcers, the police officers to protect black bodies. And so part of the reason we found a black bottom gun club is to make sure that our people are properly educated and trained in self-defense and not just self-defense, but community defense coming together to protect ourselves, our loved ones, not just from uh, aggression from the state, but also from racist neo-Nazis that may attempt to come into our city and the unwillingness or incapability of law enforcement officers to protect ourselves. We, we don't feel like we should outsource our security and protection to outside entities that historically have oppressed us. It is up to us, especially black men, and we, we definitely have a lot of strong black women in the club and broader black society in general, but it's especially incumbent upon men uh, to be able to protect our communities and ourselves and our families. Yeah, I think that one of the things that we are doing is, first of all, we aren't doing anything unique or new because there is a black tradition of armed Mm self-defense, right? Historically, we've always, as a people, have always engaged in armed self-defense when we were when we had to, when we needed to. Right. So just think about it like this. I mean, um, law enforcement can't get there in time, either due to physics, time and distance naturally, or which is more historically accurate, uh, unwillingness incompetence uh, or outright malice mm-hmm. uh, to, pr- to protect our communities. And so the black tradition of arms and the black tradition of self-defense fills that gap and fills that void, void where they can't because of time and distance, you know, physics us or where they won't. All right. So as you talk about historically, because we know Negroes with guns, we know uh, so many different protections against revolutions, uh, people know about uh, what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. uh, the first bomb used in an American city, uh, you know, Black Wall Street, as people would use the moniker. But there were so many different instances 
of people fighting against uh, the Ku Klux Klan, um, uh, officers of the law that were acting unjustly mm -hmm. or, or unjustly. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess the question that I would say when you talk about the historical context of then to today, uh, today in that process, uh, you said Philando Castile, and it's it's so surreal that this murder of George Floyd happens in the same city. But the Philando Castile was another clarion call for so many black people across America to look at this and say, this is just sick, mm. you know? So starting there, moving forward till now, what has the response been in the community to the Black Bottom Gun Club? Um, I would say overall it's been pretty positive, meaning that people hear about us, they see about us, they see about some of the community activities that we've been in, whether it be providing free uh, community-based safety seminars and legal seminars. We've gotten positive responses and feedback to that. Um, and like I said, I mean, because of what's going on now, obviously our membership has shot up. I do want to touch on something um, when you talk about the history of stuff, right? Because you mentioned, you know, Black Wall Street and stuff like that. One of the things I was reading yesterday or this morning was about the Hamburg Massacre in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I think it was 1871. And that happened because a group of racists and KKK. So Hamburg, South Carolina was just across the, uh, the river from Savannah, Georgia, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there was a, a, a group of racist uh, folks who came across and they ran into a black militia in that city doing drills. And that black militia would not move in their practice doing drills. Right. And so this racist militia took them to court and tried to sue them and all of this stuff. Then later on that night, these race, this racist, this other racist militia who came with these, um, the la it was a bunch of people with the last name of Butler, I recall, but they were known as the Redcoats, right? Ironically, the Redcoats. Um, but then they came at night and got into a shootout with this black militia. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, the black militia was overpowered and underarmed because it was it was like a bunch of these Redcoats that came over and, and took over uh, that town. And that was one of the things that led to, number one, the end of that town of Hamburg, because Hamburg was a black city in South Carolina. Hmm. Right. Um, but I think. There are instances up throughout history where you'll see where black folks have done what we can to meet the threat of violence with self-defense. The thing is, with black folks and our and our black tradition of arms, we aren't there to bring violence. We're there to defend against violence that's already present. Mm -hmm. yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important that for for black people to understand that us having guns isn't so much to enact violence. It isn't so much to terrorize our neighbors or our families or our communities or anybody else. We're not out there seeking problems. We're out there to, we're here to defend against the problems that come to our door and to our communities. Um, what you said about Philando Castile was also interesting is because um, I want to say the year after he was killed, the property values in that particular suburb went up 12%. Wow. So what you're taught, what, what we see in that, and I think that if you go back and look at similar instances, you'll see necrocapitalism. And when I say necrocapitalism, I mean, I mean the value of black death and how black death can be profitable 
to some people and to some entities. Right. That's what I mean by necrocapitalism. Um, and, I, and I think it's a really, really interesting subtopic when you talk about the history of law enforcement and policing as previously previously being slave catchers and, and defenders of folks property very much so from then up until now that yeah. tract hasn't necessarily left that 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 uh mode of operation that history is still present and is still active now yes and, and, and when you speak about that uh that that's i've never heard it put like that necro capitalism but it also becomes the warning cry that this is not a safe place for black people. Uh, as we mm. know, the lynchings that we've all seen the books, you know, let's let lest us not forget uh, the work from Ida B. Wells. And you could Google this as well. But, you know, the lynchings were like baseball games where thousands would show up and, mm. and look. But the body would be swinging on that tree much longer as a as a call out mm. of knowing. Uh, the 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 uh, the the activist and, and great thinker Jimmy Boggs, who left where he came from down south to come to Detroit because of these things, you know, and that's a hell of a sign, you know, that's a hell of a sign, which kind of naturally moves me to put the ball in your court as Kofi, your, your, your history, your your father being connected to the Republic of New Africa, mm -hmm. which the existence of the Republic of New Africa was was so built in so many uh, facets of what would become a nation for our people. Uh, so so the so Kwame Kenyatta, your father, Chokwe Lumumba, Gaedi Obadeli, Omari Obadeli, uh, these these great figures that have worked in thinking of what this would become. Can you share? Uh, some of the theories uh, from from what your father, because in active learning uh, the defense and that safety and that protection, because as you say, it's not necessarily it's definitely ne never to be offensive. Mm -hmm. It's always to be defensive, but really protecting and about safety. Yeah, absolutely. Before I get to that question, I, I do want to highlight one point. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're talking about history at this moment. And, yes, and earlier you asked about the perception and has Black Bottom been welcome in this community? And, mm -hmm. and history is part of that. It's, it's, it's about breaking the stigma of Black gun ownership in our community. And one way we can do that is through telling our history, telling the history of racist gun control, telling the history of Black armed self-defense, making sure and, and, and really evolving the consciousness of our people as it relates to gun ownership mm -hmm. in our Community, especially in Detroit with the crime rate as it is guns are violent guns are bad and that's what kids that's what we are taught and so to have men and women of the community who give back to the community who also advocate for our second amendment right and carry firearms and educate our people goes a long way to breaking that stigma encouraging others uh, to defend themselves in their community and get more active and involved and so that's also a large part of the work that we do um, as it relates to my father and his um, opinions uh, I learned earlier on how to speak for my father even even in death uh, but I, I think some things are, are known and I, and I also witness an evolution in my father. But one thing that didn't didn't evolve, one thing that remained consistent is his advocation for armed self-defense. Uh, Malcolm X was one of his idols uh, and thus one of my idols. And Malcolm X was a brother that believed in self-defense by any means necessary. Uh, and my father actually absolutely believed that. It started off uh, visiting um, 
him in the summertime and, and finding one of his firearms. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why we also pass out gun locks and making sure that firearms are stored properly. Uh, but at that point, he educated me on how to properly use a firearm and things of that nature and why it's important uh, that we defend ourselves and our community and not rely on others uh, to do so for us. And so that come, you know, having that experience as a young age, you know, kind of helped me uh, become acquainted and adjusted uh, to the idea of carrying the firearm and utilizing the firearm properly for self-defense. Uh, the brothers in the Republic of, uh, Republic of New Africa, Malcolm S. Grassroom, all of them uh, believed in self-defense and all of them had entities within um, for that uh, specific purpose. Uh, not only protecting physically with firearms, but protecting um, themselves and the members from uh, governmental influence uh, that attempted to destroy from within those organizations, which um, historically has been present from Black Panther Party to any any real progressive uh, black movement or people of color movement uh, that was about uniting people, uh, unfortunately, is a threat to America and, and, and infiltrators have attempted to destroy those organizations. So it's not just about protecting ourselves physically, it's about protecting ourselves mentally. It's about food security, it's about economic security. Uh, it runs the gamut. And so this is our particular lane in my day job. My lane is economic security for black people and people of color. And my personal belief, you know, uh, is that we have to cover all those lanes and we have to do so in a coordinated effort. Uh, and so instead of throwing stones for someone for operating in a different lane and not focusing on your lane, how do we coordinate activities so we're making sure that we're progressing together as a people? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So now with more of a historical lens and also a presence of now, um, what is it that you feel are some of the, the misnomers, the biggest myths uh, that go on about guns in our community? I mean, I think the easiest and most prevalent one is that a black person with a gun equates to something bad or equates to something that's criminal in nature. Criminality. Yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. that's obviously the most glaring and easiest one. A lot of that stuff. And, and we can't entirely divorce ourselves from history because the stereotypes generate from other folks, other folks in the past who impose those stereotypes upon us. Right. Mm -hmm. So. um I always talk about Dr. Ossian Sweet um, from Detroit. He was able to successfully defend his home in 1925 from a racist mob when he moved into uh, his new home on Garland. He was a dentist, right? Him and his family moved to, to their new home on Garland and uh, were met with like five, five nights in a row of folks trying to scare them out. Someone threw a rock or a, a bottle in his window and broke it out. And him and his family started shooting out the windows from the inside of their house into the house. Now, I understand that Dr. Ossian Sweet, before that, he was a part of the 1919 race riots in Washington, D.C. when he was at Howard University. So he understood quite clearly what the fear of a racist mob could do to black bodies. And it was that re it was for that reason why he was armed with rifles and long guns and handguns in his home. Right. Uh, he was able to successfully defend his case. Uh, with the help of, at that time, the NAACP. And the money that was generated from his case, in fact, started the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Um, and it's interesting that, as my brother was talking here right now, when you talk about the different organizations at play, uh, it's interesting how the NAACP, uh, at this point, to my knowledge anyway, do does not advocate as much for black armed self-defense in the way that helped get the Legal Defense Fund started, or in a way that where you have brother Robert F. Williams, 
who was the president of the Monroe County chapter in South Carolina, he was the president of the NAACP there, and he established the Black Armed Guard, right? So it, it, it's a confluence of all of that history from us being able to defend ourselves and what we were defending ourselves against. Now you have this, this nexus of that history and this present where they seem to be opposed. Well, why does it seem to be opposed? Is it opposed because what we were defending ourselves from was the encroachment of white inferiority onto black bodies? I would say that's probably the case. And so the greatest stereotype, obviously, that we combat against is this is this thought process. Not even just we don't focus on the stereotype of black folks with bad denotes criminality for for white people's benefit we do it for our own benefit meaning that's a lot of internal work that we have to do in terms of showing ourselves that this is something that we have a history of doing and it's something that we can do currently and keeping it you know keeping it 100 as it relates to our community and the stigma around firearms is because we experience a lot of trauma and a lot of death related to guns in our community yeah uh you know i'm not in the streets i've never been in these industries but I've been to way too many funerals for people that I know personally under 30 years old, you know, starting off in high school. And so when you grow up in that environment and, and your loved ones and your friends and family members are passing away uh, due to gun violence, then you inherently either subconsciously or consciously um, develop uh, an anti-gun standpoint because you've seen the destruction um, that it can do. Uh, and, and, and so when we talk about gun control, a lot of people first you know, their, their first mindset is to take away guns because they associate guns with that trauma, with that pain, with that death, uh, instead of associating that, that pain, trauma and death with the root causes of it. And so, you know, you talk about poverty, you talk about the disparities in healthcare, you talk about the disparities in education, you talk about the disparities in opportunity, all of which creates a, a petri dish of a, a, a fuckery, right? That mm -hmm. create the condition um, that we see in inner communities. And so the, the real work is getting to the root cause of those situations and, and doing the hard work is hard. It's gonna take the community, it's gonna take our elected officials, it's gonna take everyone involved to get to the root cause of those things and uproot them and really put in some real true common sense um, uh, solutions that will root ourselves of a black death. Uh, and, and, and so I think that's been a hindrance um, to others uh, being willing to accept the, the concept of black armed self-defense. Um, but we continue to point that out. We can continue to advocate for getting to the root cause of the situations um, that cause us pain and trauma. Because if not, if we just continue uh, to, to dive into a, a surface level analysis, our grandchildren will be having the same conversation. So we, we got to get to the root of it. And in some of that, definitely the trauma exists i mean we're we're in my neighborhood i grew up in um guns and gun violence has been prevalent mm. uh here usually connected to uh something from the streets mm -hmm. the street economy as they'd say uh, or or you know as i would want to say and call it and then also you have the myth of it as well mm -hmm. and the myth of it uh propagated by my favorite art form especially in hip-hop you know yeah. but along with hip-hop american culture in general is very violent you know it's i mean you can watch john wick you can watch i don't know the terminator you, you grab a watch, history book grab a, exactly, <laughs> grab a history book yeah that's, that's what you really can look at but the 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 but, but i guess i separate and i guess they're interconnected uh, like history yeah. being historical and culture but yeah even even 
culture historically in America is very violent as Mm -hmm. America has a violent culture, a violent past. It's a violent society. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so like some of this myth and the understanding as the talk always goes to like, what's the mental capacity of a person and who is mentally fit to have a gun, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and who determines the criteria of the of the mental tests because a lot of the anti-gun people are like you know this guy's a psychopath and then a lot of the pro-gun people are like you know you can't get a gun even if you know you you check every box and you know dot every i and cross every t so the question i would go on to ask you all is coming up with our own community standards of what that looks like or like a a, a, a fitness check because that mm. trauma and that in in the in the mentality you know it it can become it can become chaotic as i really think one of the most dangerous weapons is actually not a gun i think it's a car mm-hmm. but we've seen that cause a lot of violence in our community as well mm-hmm. so um what 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 do you all think um and and should there be like uh, uh like a community standard should we should we all uh come to like some type of uh consensus or what what does that become yeah no i think it's a good question uh but but i also want to start by saying that mental health isn't the predominant reason for violence and whether it be the mass shootings that we see or violence in the communities right but you know since we're we're talking about mental violence you know we, we also can't be reactive so we need to make sure that our children are being fed emotionally that they are receiving the proper emotional intelligence from school mm-hmm. system but starting first at the home and so we start from the, the root up right and so we start grounding our kids making sure that they have the emotional intelligence to not only handle a firearm as an adult but function as a human being in our society yes. but you know as it relates to our current situation I don't know who, uh, and I'm, I'm glad you prefaced it by saying, you know, how does the community come up with the solutions? I thought you were saying that, you know, the state should be deciding who's who's who, who's fit uh, to own the fire. To, to rely on the state to say anything, <laughs> because definitely when it comes to the state, who they may label as a felon, yeah, I absolutely. see as an asset in yeah, my community. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I definitely know the whole relationship between felons and firearms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is contentious in this nation. Yeah. And, and the relationship between black men and felonies mm-hmm. is more contentious. Absolutely. And I feel that's purposeful. And I think that deals with a lot of what you said, the yeah. uh, the socioeconomic conditions Absolutely. if we want to go very liberal. Absolutely. But back to your yeah, other yeah. term, you use the fuckery that exists <laughs> in this nation. Absolutely. You know? and, and I'm thinking more and more about your question around how does the community come together to, to develop those standards. And I think that's the end goal, getting to that position. I don't think we're there yet as a community because in order to get to that point, you have to have interconnected communities. You have to have trust. You have to have the men not being afraid to walk out their home and and talk to the youngest on the block. You have to have that. We we had it at one point. We have it in many places across the city, across the country, uh, but we don't have that type of unity and, and togetherness as a community that we would need holistically um, to have that type of conversation around who's fit, who's not. You know, I, I, I love the idea and the concept and the one-time reality of having a council of elders that, that had the respect of the people, that had the respect of the streets, you know, that kind of came in and made those decisions um, for us. And I, I think that's 
a point that we need to get back to, but I think it's incumbent upon us, the younger generation, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, to put in that work to make sure that, you know, when we become elders, we develop systems in place to where our youngins have to abide by those systems or else, you know. And then the next question also becomes, as as I live in this community, and I think this is American, and, and this is the, the our community, black community mimicking America, Mm-hmm. Also, the reasons when to carry and when to use, because I have a lot of homies mm-hmm. wherever they go. It, it almost sometimes can get annoying because, you know, you want to go anywhere and now they want to hide the gun under, you know, under their sack or whatever. I got to put it in my hat and this is my CCW. So I can't go in this bar. Or I can't go this way. But, you know, it's, it's to the point where it's like, OK, I don't think I don't think you necessarily need a gun to go to the family reunion picnic personally. But I don't. You know what I'm saying? This is back to like values and standards and how we see things and and, and how we approach life. Get them. So, <laughs> so it's interesting where you, this is one of those things where it's an issue of val, a thing of value versus issues, right? Okay. And I think that for me, it's one of those things where I, if I can carry legally anywhere, I'm going to carry legally anywhere, mm-hmm. right? It's not so much whether I need to carry legally anywhere, but if you want to talk about need, then there is a ever ever present omnipresent threat of racism and white inferiority for black folks right Mm -hmm. that's omnipresent that's the world and the country that we live in so if you want to talk about need then um, ask Ahmaud Arbery right he was jogging and running and he certainly could have used a firearm to defend himself when he was being accosted and chased by three races so I, I see it less of an issue as of need and more of an issue of exercising your rights as a fully enfranchised citizen of this country. Um, it's less an issue of need for me, again, because that's like saying, um, asking folks if they need to vote. Well, historically, and I'm always going to bring back history because history is still in the present because we deal with the effects of that history today. Mm-hmm. Historically, we were not allowed to read. We were not allowed to vote. We were not allowed to carry arms and defend ourselves. We couldn't even carry dogs or walking sticks at some point in some places, yeah. right? So those three issues. I mean, we can do anything. Right. I'm other going to be property. Right. I'm going to vote in every election, whether it's I've, I write in a vote, whether I vote down ballot, whether I support a candidate who aligns mostly with my values. I'm going to vote in every election. I'm going to read as as much as many books as i can have my education high school graduate college graduate working on my graduate degree uh coming in january and i'm going to carry a gun just about everywhere so it's more about exercising and engaging the responsibility of being a fully enfranchised citizen of this country where those things were denied us i always tell everybody today and forevermore we're going to uh, 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 claim every right that was denied our ancestors, including the right to keep and bear arms. And I think it's that serious and that important. Now, this, I guess, goes into the that in that different states have different laws about carry. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how many people that are listening to Detroit if different have been to Texas, but Texas is definitely one of those states where in Arizona you're gonna see a lot of firearms. Mm-hmm. Now, um. If I have my grandmother in like uh, in a hospice care and I'm visiting her and then I see black or white men just walking around with pistols, it, it may I, I'm going to feel I will I, I would not feel comfortable with my grandma being there. And I know that that's a me thing. Mm-hmm. But furthermore, you know, as, as you are in some of those situations, does that impact you exercising the right knowing that it may make others uncomfortable that, you know, that you may care about? 
Um, I think it's important to be sensitive to how other people feel about your right to exercise things. I don't think that it means that you have to curtail that you exercise your rights, but be cognizant and aware that this may make some folks uncomfortable. And if someone is uncomfortable, there's a couple of things that can happen. It can be a conversation starter, right? If someone has an issue with it, then I can explain to them my position on why. It, it kind of creates an icebreaker for some of those things. Uh, if someone's uncomfortable with it and they don't want to talk to me about it, I can't control what how they respond to what my exercises of my rights are. So like a high school football game. We can't carry on school property anyway. If if you just happen to but you but you want to carry it's, it's a person that feels like I want to carry because it gets back to the like, if it's my right, even though they say that it's mm-hmm. against the law, mm-hmm. I still want to carry. Mm hmm. I mean, I'm a type of person, again, where I can legally do so, I will. Mm -hmm. But I think it also requires being a gun owner is different than just um, being a non-gun owner, I guess I'll put it, in that there is a level of responsibility that you have. There is a level of awareness that you have to have. There is a level you're held to a higher standard. In most cases, for me as a CPL holder, I'm held to a higher standard than law enforcement if I choose to deploy my firearm to defend myself. Right. So I I think that you have to have a certain level of discernment, which I would say is knowledge and wisdom, you know, knowledge applied with uh, wisdom. That's what discernment is in my book. I think it requires a level of discernment into how you exercise your rights. Like I'm not following the laws of this land that we already feel like is against us. But we also recognize that we're. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I, I honor you because it's certain it's certain rules in laws in this land that I look at and I say that shouldn't be honored. You know, mm-hmm. do I exercise against it? I'm, I'm incriminating myself. Maybe, maybe not. It all right. just depends. Right. You know, so, but, uh, but it may be people that feel like differently about this. And this kind of goes back to that, that stereotype of like growing up in a neighborhood like this, where the mm-hmm. guns are more criminality. It's like they're tools used to intimidate or murder. So it's like, I don't, I don't see the gun kind of what Kofi was saying as a tool of safety as much as I see it as a mechanism which also kind of goes to that other point I don't know it's not a lot of registered firearms mm-hmm. that I'm seeing around here mm-hmm. the gun that's being used is is mm-hmm. usually an unregistered firearm mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so um so it, it that raises that anxiety but that same anxiety as you say just being a black man in society yes it's high well, so when you when you talk about the Ahmad thing, I think Georgia suburb, yes, is high. I, I think in some ways, if I was black man with gun, if I was black man jogging down the street and they know I got a gun on me, it may be even higher because now I think that I don't even have a chance for discourse. So I, I, I think the, the, the safest place may be where, like, if America says it's unsafe, that's probably the safest place for me as a black person. True. If True. you were a, a, a mod in that situation and you going for a jog and you notice three white men in hot yeah. pursuit of you, would you rather have been unarmed or armed in that situation? I definitely would have rather been armed. But I also think that if it was known, like meaning like if I make that jog often, but this is just my stance. First off, black people in the suburbs, more power to you. And you got a lot more... Um, you got a lot more courage than me because I'm way more afraid of my white neighbor in the suburb than I am my ghetto neighbor in the hood. Mm-hmm. My ghetto neighbor in the hood, I feel like I got a context for the hood things that go yeah. on. 
you know, like even my break in that was recent, like it's a context for this. I don't know the context for the violence out there, you know? Uh, so like if I'm a mod, yes, in that situation, yes, I definitely am. But also in that situation, if I know, if I feel like my white neighbors are aware that I have firearm, I have a firearm or firearms, then now whatever little discourse that it could happen has just escalated to a yeah heat is on situation yeah and and i also want to be clear that at least me personally i'm not advocating that every black person walk around with a firearm right i know that's not a realistic realistic expectation mm-hmm. our goal is to educate put the information out there for those that are like-minded yeah. So we can build that community. And, you know, we talked about staying in our lanes, sticking to our lane. That That's our lane, right? Yeah. No, knowing for the fact that, you know, there are other lanes. People may not be comfortable carrying firearms, but they're putting in work for our people in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. And so what well, we're just trying to build that muscle for a lane that we saw that was missing in our community, that, that conscious, the community-rooted black gun owners, right? And so we, we saw that that was a gap that was missing in our community. We're looking to fulfill that gap. And now, there's is. a lot of other gaps, right, um, that need to be filled. Um, but this one was more pronounced, um, especially given our history. And we wanted to fill that void. Not saying, everyone, you must come over to fill this void with us. But more so, we are here. This is why we're here. Just so that narrative doesn't get misconstrued. And, and knowing that we are down for our people, even if we disagree on you know uh, uh you know firearms in general uh know that we have the same end goal of black liberation and protecting ourselves and our loved ones and so you know that i just wanted to you know make sure that it's clear that we're not trying to say kari you, you're stupid for not carrying the firearm we, we're, yeah, that's not, yeah. not what we're saying we're, we're just saying that this is why we do it uh mm-hmm. and this is how we see if it, it fits into our uh collective goals and I, I, and I do think that being here in America, these are some tough questions. Yeah. So as I'm asking you the questions that are tougher because I, I think that the people watching will Absolutely. have this as well. Absolutely. And, and I, I don't necessarily think that not having the firearm is the right thing, too. I'm looking at all the protests and I'm yeah. thinking to myself, should these people have firearms or should they not? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. In some in some refer- in, in some instances, if if. 15 riot gear cops come up and they bash somebody's head in and I'm one person with a firearm. Yes, I will feel like defending that person. But then I'm going to think, what are these other 14 cops about to do to me? Mm-hmm. For sure. And I don't know if it's Absolutely. an answer to that. It right. is an answer. You, you know. We it all know. Yeah. <laughs> I know what they're going to. But meaning like, meaning like, is there what an choice do you to, make? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. What yeah. choice yeah. to make? Well, like uh, well, yeah. well, I think that's really one of the key problems that we face, why is it that we're the only group in America that has to make that Answer determination that yeah. between protecting yourself, your family, and your community versus imprisonment or death, right? Damn, that's deep. That's deep, Chad. Like, that's, that's, deep. That, that's, that's the, that's the question. Little... <laughs> that's, that, that's the question that we're faced with all the time as yeah. black men and women who carry firearms. And But back to Kofi's point, it's not that we want everyone to carry because we understand that everyone probably can't and shouldn't carry Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. at the very least we want you to be okay with the ones that do not so much not so much that you have to carry yourself because for whatever reason you don't want to whatever reason you can't that's on you that's a personal decision just like this is a personal decision for me to carry but at the very least be okay with me carrying and understanding why i carry because at the end of the day i might have to save your life i feel that 
I feel that. And willing to do so. And yeah, that. and willing and be willing to do so, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think that you know, justice is not some type of a a, a naturally occurring phenomena. It's one of those things that in, it requires human intervention, and it requires folks who are willing and able to bend the moral arc of the universe towards justice. It and doesn't and point us here. Yeah, we us here in America as black yeah. people. It it requires a lot more, even almost that like in that act of bending that will. Yeah, we've seen what it takes because really. <laughs> A lot of what people are getting their heads bashed in at peaceful protest right now, it's just over the facts of justice and fairness. They're mm-hmm. not they're not asking for an advantage. They're just saying, hey, you know, if a cop kills a citizen, can that person go to jail? Can they be punished? Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, man, it gets under my skin when they say black on black crime. I've seen a person black on black crime, and I hate that term even. But I've seen a black man shoot a black man and go to jail for it. Yeah. We rarely see a cop shoot a black man and go to jail for it. Yeah. That's what the fight is about. You know? Yeah. So if if it was justice and square, now it, as you say, the, the consequence and the penalty of imprisonment. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at, okay, do I, do I, am I hoping and praying that I live and survive after being demoralized and possibly beaten to death? Or do I stand up for myself and face imprisonment and still possibly take the risk of being beaten to death, you know, and abused as well? Like, these are shitty options. Mm -hmm. And that fight for justice that you speak of is so present for so many. Like, usually I try to just ask questions and and stand off. But in this fight for justice series of Detroit is different. I'm I'm running in thought, you know. And it's yeah. great to have you guys here. Yeah, man. You 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 speaking and um what keeps running through my head is, is is buck breaking, right? You know, back during slavery where, you know, there was a slave, uh, an enslaved African, I should say, that fought back or ran away. Yeah. And they were captured. You know, they would set an example of that brother or that woman, and they would bring all the other enslaved Africans and, and, and watch them torture uh, that one brother and, and emasculate him and do all kind of depraved things that we yeah, probably couldn't even is, think of on our yeah. own uh, to set the stage and set the tone that this is not what you do to keep the other God to put the others. I mean, this is why when yeah. black men were lynched, their testicles and penis were cut yes. off and put yeah. into their mouth. Yeah. This is why, yeah. you know, yeah. mm-hmm. so and, like this and then pour tar on and burn yeah, absolutely. like this. This type of sickness, and this isn't that long ago. This is like 1900s. This isn't like it's like last night. week. Yeah, it's like yeah. last week. Yeah. it's just a different form. Yeah, it's yeah. a different form. You know, we we form. see I mean, the on, on our act, but yes, I'm, I'm talking about the actual act. I'm yeah. talking about the actual yeah. lynchings. I'm talking about a modern. I'm talking about Mr. Floyd. Yeah. Talking about all that. This is a modern yeah. day lynching, and yeah. then they posted on social media and on the news, and so subconsciously, it's been ingrained in our mind that even though we're fighting against it, subconsciously. This is a the world is saying that this is okay. They trying to butt break us, and so, you know, my <laughs> I won't get into my position on that, okay. but but that but that's the reality of the situation, yeah. right? And, and and I think we need to do something uh, to remedy that. And, uh, and being and being prepared with security of not just firearms, but you say like uh, we we talked about uh, food security, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, economic security. Yeah. 
uh, definitely in what you're teaching children. I like I almost walked away from saying education. I say knowledge because mm. education seems to be so weird. But mm-hmm. let's say education, and also the mental state. Education, yeah. Also the mental state as we're experiencing so many of these traumas. Yeah. You know, it's said that if you have an alcoholic in your family, uh, that can last for four generations in your DNA. Wow. So I can only imagine if one alcoholic can last four generations. You know, as there are more and more studies, but it's not a lot of money, obviously, funding the post-traumatic stress disorder connected to enslavement. Yeah, yeah. But what's going on in our DNA? And that also just shows the 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 phenomenal nature of who we are as a people. It's interesting you bring up the the post-traumatic slave uh, disorder, post-traumatic slave syndrome or post-traumatic stress disorder, whichever one you want to call yeah. it. So yeah. they were doing studies with Jewish Holocaust victims where they found epigenetic trauma in their DNA passed from Holocaust victims and survivors onto their descendants, right? Yeah. And it, and it alters their DNA and RNA from just Holocaust victims to now. That same thing occurs with formerly enslaved black folks in America. In that you have le- a legacy and generations of not just enslavement, but the Jim Crow laws and all of those things yeah. and the discrimination, both economic and physical, where those things alter the DNA in black folks to get us to where we are now. Right. That's that's the epigenetic trauma that we deal with. Right. It create it took generations to embed into us today It's going to take that much or longer to get out of our system. Yeah. But. I also want to touch on the fact that this you you mentioned uh, something else about the lynchings and stuff and how it was a sickness. I'm not going to disagree with you that it's a sickness per se and that every generation kind of has a choice in order of uh, whether they decide to carry on that or that that mentality or not. But there's there's a choice to a degree. But I also think that white folks face that same epigenetic trauma as well in that you have a legacy of slave ownership or enslavement. You have a legacy of carrying out discrimination and racism. I wonder if we got the bad end of it in terms of the epigenetic trauma from enslavement. What type of epigenetic trauma do they have in terms of being evil? Yeah, I I mean, definitely uh, sounding a little Mm. bit like the brother minister Louis Farrakhan. I would say that uh, my my belief uh, and you say it's white inferiority but in my in my terms i would say white supremacy is existent to all white people and black inferiority here in america and really white supremacy is global is existent in all of us as black people it's all i I think it's depending upon what dynamic Mm -hmm. and and what's happening Mm -hmm. and how uh how how learned of people you are Mm -hmm. not necessarily books and really what those dynamics are yeah i mean so like the 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 it's it's been so many examples and i usually use like uh examples with celebrities because it's hard to say fred that owned the shop but you know uh for instance donald sterling uh, mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. former owner of the nba LA clippers, clippers yeah. you know uh mar- multiple naacp awards uh you know hired w- the first general manager that was black out one of the first black general managers of in the nba one of the highest ranking positions you can have in the nba but made a statement about you know the girl he was dating not wanting to take pictures with magic johnson Mm -hmm. and just also happened to be taped in that and and i think that was part of an extortion so he that was put on a grand scale to say this shows his racism here 
Whereas it's like, okay, in certain dynamics, yes, in certain dynamics, no. But then you see the structure of the NBA saying we're going to enact and we're going to make sure we do something about this. But what the NBA did in turn was they allowed him to sell his team for the most any sports franchise has ever been sold for, ever. So the NBA walks away mm -hmm. saying we did something about our race problem by giving a billionaire another billion dollars. Mm -hmm. I'm, gl mm -hmm. I'm glad you you know spoke about the structure of it all. Personally, I could care less about racial prejudice, right? Yeah. It's, it's the systems, it's the systemic racism, yes. systemic oppression, that no matter who's heading up that racist organization, you can cut the head off. But if the if the if the system is strong, if it's interwoven, yeah. then that system will last on. And, and so we have these racist systems in every facet of American life. Yeah. And so, you know, how do we untangle that system? You know, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, doing some unconscious bias training. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, though, that's on the individual level. Yeah. You know, what, where's the unconscious bias training for entire systems uh, that we really need to get to in order to see meaningful change from the system perspective? And now we all know that, you know, that's, that's going we may not be alive for that to happen. Yeah. And, and we also need to focus on what we're going to do outside that system to make sure that we can survive and thrive. But I also think we need to talk about that when we talk about the whole notion of racism you know it's not just yeah. about the interpersonal the, the, yeah. the big beast is the system uh and the implications of that system because the the interpersonal is that that's the um in 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 some ways i believe that those interpersonal actions almost hide mm. hide other racist because now they can point to like okay i'm not ty cobb mm -hmm. but it's like for ty cobb to exist mm -hmm then the system has to support that. Yeah, you're talking about liberals and, and, and in a you sense, know? liberals and progressives who aren't as vocally racist, right? They aren't, you know, I, don't, I wasn't well, saying they're I, not I white think, I, think uh, <laughs> I, I believe the direction you're going, like, you know, mm -hmm. right now it's like a broad brush yeah, of, exactly. of, of, of like Republicans are racist. The conservative viewpoint is racist. The Confederate flag, they support all of these backward standards, which is... Uh, and it's funny, um, you know, kind of going to the to the ideology of the statehood of like, you know, we want to basically be able to do what we want to do, how we want to do and what we want, because they can no longer be our property, because that's that's what a lot of this is. And mm -hmm. they meaning us black people, then we don't want nothing to do with them. Whereas I think mm -hmm. a more the, the liberal viewpoint is. We don't want nothing to do with them unless they go through these systems, but I feel some pity for them and we'll try to create and coddle these systems that that go. will allow there a couple go. of them in. Yep. But it's still not the independence. It's not the black empowerment. It's like it's still, you know, jumping through loops and, and mm -hmm. like, you know, being a tiger to mm -hmm. uh, you know, like a, a, a like a like a, a or a field puppet or whatever to 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 live in a system that is their world as I opposed want you to, to saying <laughs> let me back off and let me let me let you do what you do so, it's not for me to understand the context if you all want to you know it's not for me to 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 <laughs> uh you know give you the the bill and melinda gates scholarship mm -hmm. it's not up to me to decide who the best student is it's up to me to go to the school and say hey here go some resources and distribute it however the hell you want get out the way so uh, i, I want to touch on a couple of things um mm -hmm. what you're talking about 
is this this constant back and forth. You know how some people like to call the these these ideological differences among liberals and conservatives, whatever, like deep state or whatever deep state. Yeah. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All deep state really is is a fight between which version of white or which which flavor of white inferiority you want to go with. And I use white inferiority because you have to have an inferiority conflicts complex to believe that you better than anybody else. Right. Hey. So that's why. Hey. So that's why I use white inferiority instead of white supremacy. White supremacy. Right. Gotcha. Um. But yeah, that's really uh, the conflict between which version of white inferiority, inferiority wants to rule the day. And when you talk about different liberals and, and conservatives, look at the woman in Central Park, right? Yeah. At, at the, who called uh, who who weaponized her whiteness, her mm-hmm. white womanhood. Yeah. Right. Because that's what it was—a weaponization of white womanhood yep. to yeah. try to get this black bird watcher arrested or potentially killed in Central Park. Definitely. It, right. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly what that was. But that's yet, exactly what it was. On, on, she's on record as being a donor to Obama and Hillary Clinton and, and Democrats and stuff. Right. Yeah. It, it. So I think what Trump has done, and I don't want to delve too much into politics or my personal ideology, but I think what Trump has done and 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 the conservative movement has done right now. Is really made it really, really easy for folks who consider themselves progressives or liberals to point at the bad guy. Yeah. Right. And, and give cover for their own mm-hmm. bias or racism. But yep. it's never about any individual. It, it's breaking down these damn systems. Yes. 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 You know, yep. As, yep. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's never about the individual. It, I mean, it's never about that. If we look that. at it as an individual, you know, it, I mean, if I ever as a black man felt that Joe Biden is about to save my life and I'm going about life backwards <laughs> as hell. <laughs> you know? Facts. Now, do uh, I think that if, if he has an agenda and from a federal policy standards and he has something specifically for black people that he has designed, could it be something that could eventually matriculate and offer resources to our community? Yes. Yes. It could. It could. But I definitely am not going to think that Joe Biden is any savior for the black community. Not at all. You know, I don't think Lyndon Baines Johnson was a savior for the black community. Absolutely. But one thing that and I think maybe the political tone as I read history says it, you know, as he told Martin Luther King, you're going to have to make me do this, Mm -hmm. you know, which that's that's still more to me of a transactional nature of what politics is. It's an exchange. And, And and I can understand that a whole lot more than the ideology of things will get better, not having plans, uh, having like the idea of, you know, it just won't be as bad. It's better to be transactional. Like, look, I'm not going to do nothing unless you bop, bop, bop. And then it's like, OK, now we can say this is what we need to focus on. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Politics mm-hmm. is an exchange and it's not charity. And I think for too long that. Unfortunately, we've used giving our vote away as political charity. Um, And And, and some of that also, I would say, is by design, using your term, through the white inferiority as Mm -hmm. some of the best gambit of uh, of trickery has been thrown at our people, you Mm -hmm. know, to the point of like, you know, uh, to the point of uh, one of the examples that I always use that just shows the phenomenal nature and the talent and the creativity of black people, you know. Lou Alcindor at the time, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when he was going to go to college basketball, what they did was they made the dunk illegal. Mm-hmm. And that's when he developed the most unguardable shot in basketball history. The skyhook. 
you know yep. but it's like you you're dealing with stuff like that because it was like oh we can't have this guy scoring this many points you know so it's 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 things like that every step of the way like the rules change and like what Kofi said we have to be prepared and we have to know rules are going to change we can't ex- ex- we can't expect things to remain static because this system is not designed to give us resources so as those rules change we have to think steps ahead and steps behind we mm-hmm. have to be moving fluid all mm-hmm. the time, almost like uh, like Pernell Sweet Pea Whitaker or something. Like we just mm-hmm. moving around the ring. Like we can't sit and say, okay, this will happen, and then you know that will happen. As I do believe that uh, the election, in some ways, and and I was one applauding it too, but the election of Barack Obama was almost like a paralysis state of for for a lot of black folks because it was like, wow, we've arrived. We got a black man in the White House. I know he'll advocate for us. And that did not come about. We know? in a difficult situation, and, and everything, every topic we we talk about, we in a difficult situation with Barack Obama, is that you you was you absolutely correct. Um, part of that is because of the amount of racism that yeah. was coming his way yeah. from the right. So it was like he getting all this heat just for being a black man. I don't agree what he's doing or what he's not doing, but if I add to that, how that's gonna look? And mm-hmm. I didn't, yes. damn, I'm a black man, and and this is a black. And that man. was the paralysis the, that a lot exactly. of black America was under at the time. Exactly. And I mean, Same thing with Biden, though, right? It's, yeah. it's like the option: the races on the right. Well, the races on the right are giving cover to the races on the left, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, well, it, it, look at Trump; he's worse. So hey, let's get through this and yeah. and, and get Biden in there, uh, and then you know four years later we'll, there'll hope, be a new boogeyman. Hope we have um, a black woman. But at the same time, we person. also can't say. You know, at least I don't say let's sit out and not vote. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 take a stand and and let's let's you know shove it to the Democrats. Let Trump get in because his policies, I believe, will be more dangerous to Black people. Even though I don't know if Biden's policies will accelerate uh, social economic mobility of Black people. So again, I talk about being a system as mitigating damage. Yeah. I look at Trump as uh, I look at. Biden is mitigating damage from a, a possible Trump. And I know we don't want to get into politics, but also because this is an election year, I think it's important that that we we, we, we message at least the right things. As no, I, I, I agree. I, I'll never advocate that anyone not vote um, for any reason whatsoever. I think that every election is important, including your local ones. I think the local ones are going to be even more important yep. than the national one, because the local ones determine what happened in your block, on your block, in your community, in your city, in yep. your state. Right. So I'm going to advocate for every election that black folks participate in, if you're able to. Uh, But I do think it's important that we not give away our vote as charity going forward, meaning to, to Brother Kofi's point, we got a boogeyman here who's far more of a monstrosity than the vampire over here. Right. So I, I think that we have to take account for both of those type of things and which one you want to deal with now. Had we been a little bit more, I guess, politi- I don't want yeah. Had we been a little bit more strategic. politically strategic earlier on, we probably could have got a different candidate that's against that's going against Trump right now than what we got. Possibly. Right? But, Poss- possibly. Possibly we've so. Seen some of these systems. And and, and I, I guess I would argue that I'm not against the person that's for apathy. You know, I understand yeah, the apathy I, argument. Absolutely. Like, would, like how you feel about the, the, the like, look, I'm not going to try to force a person to get a gun. Yeah. I'm not going to force a person to try to vote. It's right. I, 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 the I apathy argument has a lot of valid points. <laughs> it does. In black it does. In America. It, it does. does. It does. But I think the other piece of that is important is that 
when you're registered to vote and you actively engage in voting, you also have the capacity to be selected for jury duty. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something a lot of folks uh, uh, either don't pay attention to or don't recognize is that you're voting, you know, whether you vote or not or whether you register to vote, that has a direct impact on how you can exercise your other right in that second box to quote Frederick Douglass. Right. Because he said a man's rights rest in three boxes, the ballot box, the jury box and the cartridge box. I advocate the access to all three of those boxes. Right. Mm-hmm. Ballots, which in turn will allow you to be in the jury box. And then the cartridge box as a last resort when nothing else is left. And that's kind of our space in that third box. Yeah. Right. But all of the other two, bo- the other two boxes and every other box is important for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I would never tell anyone to not vote. Um, I understand the apathy. I can support mm-hmm. them on the reason for their apathy. Yeah. But even if they choose not to vote for a particular candidate, one or the other, yeah. I would suggest at a very minimum. Look at your ballot and see who's on for local elections. Mm-hmm. Look and see who what proposals are going to be in your city or your state that may impact you directly. That stuff is important, too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Very much so. Uh, which kind of brings me 360 back uh, to to the gun club. How do I mean, like, let's just get some some brass tax out. How do people join? What what how should a person be a member? Do should I own a gun before I join? If I'm interested right now, it's like I don't know what's going on. Like, you know what? What's happening? How do yeah. I join? Yeah. So, did you want to go ahead? Yeah, you can tag in. First step is uh, join the National African American Gun Association. Um, you can find all this information on our Facebook page, uh, Black Bottom Gun Club. Um, also, go to the website, blackbottomgunclub.com. Yeah. Um, but in order to join the club, you have to be a member of the National African American Gun Association. It's only like $25, you know, for an individual and a little bit more annually, annually yeah. Uh, yeah. for okay, an individual. $25 is not a lot of money. Well, lot of it, money. it's 29 annually $29. for an individual, 39 for a couple. Yep. And I think mm-hmm. it's 60 for a family of four. Okay. Yep. All right. And so, once you're uh, a member of the uh, national organization, you can send your confirmation um, and then forward it to our, our Gmail at blackbottomgc at gmail.com. Uh, and become a, and then we'll forward, follow up with more information on how to become a member of our club. We do hold meetings every second Saturday um, at 11 a.m. We were doing virtual meetings given social distance orders and the pandemic. Um, but next what, June 13th, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be at the firing line um, gun range in Westland, which is our home range. And okay. I'm pretty sure I forgot some other stuff. Chad. Yeah. Um, no, that's really it, man. To join the National African American Gun Association, that one. that into the yeah, that's step one. You go to naaga.co, not .com, but My .co. Bad, yeah. That's the website for the national organization. Then from there, you can reach us at our Gmail or go to our website, uh, blackbottomgunclub.com or blackbottomgc at gmail.com. Email your confirmation, it will get you tightened up. Um, Do I need a gun? No, you don't need a gun. Okay. A gun having a firearm is not required. You just need to be able, if you choose to, you need to be able to have the capacity to get one legally. Okay. We do have a um, black federally licensed firearm dealer in the club. So if you That's are looking to, to purchase a firearm, come to us. We'll make sure that we keep those dollars circulating in the black community. You know, I don't okay. know if we make any firearms yet, but uh, no, we don't. <laughs> well, we, there's a few just not here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just not here. Uh, all right. So uh, when I join the club, is it more like a social gathering? Is it teaching? What what What's happening? It's uh, somewhat all of that, right? Okay. I mean, we typically, you know, quarterly, we have a firearm expert come in and talk about different issues surrounding firearms and legal system, right? Okay. Um, so we do that 
not even just for our club members, but we also do that for the community as well. So whenever we have him come in, those are meetings that are open to the public or we'll have separate uh, 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 events where he'll come out to a church or a community center and talk about gun laws relative to what you should and should not do or can and cannot do and answer any questions you have. Um, so we talk about legal stuff. We also talk about the history of the black tradition of arms as well. When we don't have um, a, a presenter, we'll talk about somebody like Stagecoach Mary, or we'll talk about uh, Ossie and Sweet, or we'll talk about Hartman Turnbull or Janie Brewer. Mm. If y'all want to look up these people, look up these people online and see who they are relative to the black tradition of arms. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois and his position on firearms, right? Mm. Uh, read his position on firearms relative to the 1906 Atlanta race riots. Yeah. Um, so we talk about a lot of history in that stuff, too, going back to what Kofi was saying earlier is that we believe that the history of the black tradition of arms is, is broad enough and is a wealth of information that can inspire you. History is supposed to be an inspiration for what we do today. It's not supposed to be the motivation, but the inspiration for it. And that's the track that we the, that, that's the approach we have. But in addition to those things, we discuss the community service engagement. So to your point earlier, when you were saying it's people who might not be comfortable with seeing black folks carrying guns. Yeah. Well, part of our community engagement is to get people comfortable with black folks carrying gum guns while we passing out safety locks or okay. or while we or while we're conducting uh food giveaways or mass giveaways or whatever the case may be that's kind of part of that rehabilitation relative to black gun ownership that we try to engage in uh but in addition to the community service stuff we also have training events as well we have instructors in our uh group who do everything from basic pistol and cpl stuff all the way to defensive handgun and we got mm -hmm. trainers from out of town coming up this summer to do a community defense day where we're going to be going through rifles and shotguns right okay. so we do we kind of run the gamut in the space of second uh amendment advocacy all right and that and that kind of leads to like some of my understandings as you know i'm not a gun guy but uh but growing up in this neighborhood you become aware of certain gun rules so like if i come i don't have a gun I mean, am I able to use somebody else's gun? Am I thinking like, I don't know if I want this person's fingerprints on my gun. Like what's the, what happens there? Yeah, every, um, during our monthly meeting, uh, every, we uh, go to the range after the official sit down and talk meeting is over with. And so at the range, you can get a gun. I mean, you can purchase, I mean, not purchase firearm, but you can lease a firearm to rent um, to shoot that day. Uh, there are also members who may be willing to let you shoot their firearm as well. And so the idea is to gradually get people used More to firearm ownership. And so come, even if you don't have a firearm, we'll make sure that you get, you know, even the, if we just start with the in-classroom teachings around gun safety before we go to a live range, you know, that's part of the process. So, you know, once they come in, we'll, we'll make, we'll take care of them. And you just enlightened me. I didn't even know you could lease a gun, but that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. For the duration that you're in the yeah, range. I know, yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty sure. Can't, can't, yeah. I mean, can't lease it, put it, put it in. Like, yeah, like, we lease this gun and then go down the street to the bank. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not happening. So, um, also, like, in reference to that, um, the, the role that you all play, because uh, I'm guessing, as people know, that you are a part of, of a gun club and um, willing to be in the community. Uh, do people ever ask of the gun club to provide any security services or like members in, like are members interested in providing like maybe security patrols and things like that? Yeah, that's a good, that's uh, something that we were just talking about there. 
you know, we have get, gotten that call. Um, you know, part of what we want to do is continue to raise the consciousness of the club members um, to move from, you know, not just self-defense and self-defense of our families, but also defense of our communities. And yeah. so um, I'll say more to come on that. OK. Yeah. And then also just for those thinking that aren't a part of the gun club, can you just share some of the laws on that as the Second Amendment? Right. I was having this discussion the other day. I mean, it leads with militia, you mm -hmm. know, so like you have the right to have a militia against you probably can know it verbatim. But but with that being said, if it's another group of men in the community, as we, we know, the classic story of the uh, L.A. rebellion in 92 that we were really young for. We were all really young for. But, you know, the Korean business owners all got a bunch of guns. That's that's the oh, narrative. Top of the roof. Spoke yeah. But uh, <laughs> if, if a community, you know, saw what was happening in Philadelphia, a couple nights ago, the bunch of guys with bats or what was happening in Bronx on Dykeman. Mm. A lot of the uh, Dominican families seem to be having some uh, not, you know, being violent towards a lot of the black people there. Mm -hmm. uh, so what Same if, thing in, if Chicago. In, in Chicago, I'm, I'm hearing about some of the uh, Mexican family uh, yeah. peoples were uh, well, more so the Latin Kings yep. having, uh, you know, uh, being acting violently towards black people there. Yep. So with, with these actions, if a community wants to stand up and say, look, every, you know, these 15, you know, these 15 adults on the block are all by a gun. We're going to have our own militia. What should they do? Can they do that? What should they be thinking about? Like, um, you know, can you give some some advice or some theory or like ideas on like how to make sure that that doesn't get yeah. crazy? I don't think a group of neighbors uh, necessarily have to call themselves a militia. Uh, to come to the understanding that they are all law-abiding citizens um, mm -hmm. that have the right to bear firearms, yeah. whether that be handguns, shotguns, or rifles. Um, I think organizing in general uh, is an important aspect of black life. And so, you know, if there's a black club captain or there's an individual in the community that wants to start something and advocate for armed self-defense and radio patrols, uh, I think that's, that's something that we would definitely advocate for. And uh, I would encourage them to get in contact with us if we don't have the answers, you know, we definitely know the right people to put them in contact with for them to formally establish something like that. And I think Chad's about to. Yeah. So I, I think that what you're really talking about is an emergency support team for a community. It could be that. And an emergency support team would consist of folks who have who are able to defend the community with firearms. Yeah. Uh, it consists of people who can run communications throughout that uh, entity or throughout that community medical uh it, yeah medical training all of those things are really what you're talking about as an emergency support team um and i think that it's important that communities begin to establish these things for themselves and it doesn't have to involve everyone owning a gun everyone yeah. can play their role right mm -hmm. some folks can be street medics meaning street medics mean be, be, being able to triage wounds and triage stuff right you can have people who uh, uh, who are who are gardeners and growers growing fruits and vegetables when things get real thick and it becomes a real live crisis. You got families on that block who can supply food to everyone else. You got folks who can provide armed self-defense for other families and that block or that community as well. Um, so, yeah, what you talk about is an emergency support team. And what what that thing really requires is obviously a willingness to participate understanding what your limitations are and what you can do and cannot do relative to what your role is, what role you want to play, what you feel more comfortable in. Yeah. And then lastly, training and practicing towards that effort. So if you a street medic, 
and you got a triage kit make sure you you show other people in case you get hurt how they can help somebody else who's down if yeah. you are a firearms owner and you want to make sure that you got a decent team around you to train and practice with that team of four five six folks for that armed self-defense of that block or that community yeah. uh if you're a gardener then you need to make sure that you're able to produce the fruits and vegetables that folks are going to be able to eat and show other people how to do that as well so that everyone can mutually benefit from it so yeah, you talk about an emergency support team, and that's something that we absolutely advocate. Not just a militia, but again, as Kofi talking about, we got a, 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 a voluminous amount of problems. There are voluminous amount of ways that we can kind of address some of those things internally within our community. And an emergency support team kind of is a microcosm of some of those things that we can do for ourselves um, on a small scale to protect our communities. And I don't know if you're familiar, but some of the call to actions you know, related to the killings of unarmed black people is... Uh, a defund the police movement I'm, uh, I'm very familiar with that uh, I don't know if you remember my song from it, it's like I'm almost like a retired rapper now but my own police on my 2015 okay. album and that song has been played more and more on Spotify now uh, which was a whole lot different than my uh, Bobby Seal song Black Fist Up on my mm. 2008 album you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. so yeah I'm very familiar with the concept um after I made that song, I, I became a little bit more familiar with that mm -hmm. uh, concept of, of defunding the police uh, and, and what that looks like in yeah. policing our own communities, yeah, our absolutely. own police, you know. Yeah, and we, and we can't wait, right? We, we, we got to start policing our communities now yeah. or at least the building the, the framework and the foundation pieces uh, if we're going to ever get to that, right? Yeah, so, because the conflicts of bringing an outsider yeah. to resolve an internal issue that so doesn't fact. understand the cultural and the culture and context of it. I'm gonna just stay on the surface. There can be uh, can be deadly as yeah. we see. Uh, now, some of the questions I have are like more legal. As we get to a close, um, it's other questions. If I'm a felon in, in Michigan, what's what's the state on? Uh, if I'm expunged, can I can I get a firearm? Is it a type of firearm? Uh, can I get a shotgun, a rifle? Can I ever get a handgun again? What what's the what are the rules? Yeah. So as CPL instructors, we're, we're not um, want to get legal advice. Um, I got you. I got but you. We, we encourage everyone um, to do their due diligence and, and, and their research. Uh, what's Terry's organization's name? So um, our club also has a lot of uh, a positive relationship with a company called Firearms Legal Protection. Um, and Terry Johnson is the vice president of uh, firearms legal protection in terms of their legal development legal operations he's based in detroit in, in the area um, he's the lawyer that we deal with when he when he does the uh, legal seminars right okay and firearms legal protection is a way essentially that if you have to use your firearm in self-defense uh they'll provide you with an if you have their service they'll provide you with an attorney bail money and court representation uh throughout your trial both civil and criminal defense do i get that by joining black bottle you can get that at a discounted rate yeah, so okay, the pub, okay. so, so the like i'm not gonna pay 29 dollars no no so you get that at a discounted <laughs> rate because normally their rates are like 15 dollars a month but you can get it for 10 dollars a month with okay, us right. right so yeah. there are benefits to joining our club but i don't like to highlight those fringe benefits because the primary benefit is that you get to be your authentic yeah. self while ex exercising your second amendment rights without having to turn down your blackness mm. okay so I need to meet Terry myself and then have some of these questions because I want to ask about marijuana. I want to ask about some of the felonies, some of the background. That's and also, man's. like, if a person, you know, we, yeah. we know, like, uh, 
if a person is as we know with COVID 19 a person may get released to me. my 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 little brother may get out of lockup or my sister or whatever mm-hmm. and i have firearms in the house what what becomes the rule mm-hmm. right they you know, just and these are things that i need to know because this goes back to the as you say being black we have to think about the risk of imprisonment and mm-hmm. we know where those rules will go mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah so um if you come to our if if anybody listen wants to come to our meeting on the 13th at the fire line that address is three three zero 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 Fort road and westland four eight one eight five 11 o'clock terry johnson is the lawyer uh he'll be there he'll be able to answer your questions okay all right well i definitely look to uh meeting him getting him on trade is different myself uh this was a great interview the last thing i i'd say was almost like the thing i led with with kofi i mean nowadays i don't know what's going on i think it may be my my hip-hop culture influencing it but so many people want to show the guns that they have and it just show it puzzles me that people are on instagram brandishing firearms you know i want to say it was like a case down in alabama a couple years back where like a whole group of guys were arrested from this you know so I'm just telling you all, hey, I don't think you should be uh, brandishing your firearms on social media, but I don't know what you guys take is, but at your at your classes are people because we live in a social media um, culture now and everything. Is that like are, are people going live at the range with the black bottom gun club? Uh, sometimes people do. And it's not that we discourage or encourage it, because I think it's important to see black folks like you and I or just a normal black person doing this same thing that other folks do right it's not any different than white folks who go to the gun range but we want to make it more we here's here's what it is black people are normal guns are normal black people with guns are normal right and that's really what we're doing is making it so that black people with guns are just as normal as anybody else here Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, fortunately, Michigan is an open carry state. Yeah. Uh, as long as you're following the rules of open carry and not brandishing, because there is a legal definition of what brandishing is in the state. Right. Um, yeah. You can open carry in Michigan. And I don't have a pro- I personally don't have a problem with it. We saw we saw that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Well, what well, we did um, last week, there was a bunch. It was a group of black folks open carrying at the yeah. Capitol. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I will echo everything Chad said, but. I'm also reminded of my cousin that has a Facebook profile of him and his little nine millimeter. I don't know what it is, but uh, in his profile picture. And, and so I will say to the youngest that are in the, uh, you know, they're on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, brandishing firearms, got firearms posted next to money. It's not about respectability politics. Um, it, it's about common sense and discernment mm-hmm. uh, making and not making yourself a target. Uh, because the police, local and um, state and federal enforcement officers are on social media watching your activity. A lot of that can be a lot of that can be used against you in the court of law, especially if you are a known felon and then got the audacity or the stupidity uh, <laughs> to be posted up with a firearm or with people with firearms. Just just think, um, you know, before you post, uh, especially with a firearm. That's all. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I uh, I, should have known Chad would have had that response. And I feel you. The Kari Kari response is a little bit less liberal even than Kofi. My thought process is you don't want not just the element of the police, but also, I mean, we have the criminal element in our own community. If it's known that you're a person that carries, I don't think people are going to deal with you as if you're not carrying. And if people start dealing with you as if you are carrying, 
you have just exponentially heightened the, your the uh, the situation where you know things can get yeah. things can get real. That's true. Yeah. I, I I think that situational awareness will trump the element of surprise every day and twice on Sundays. Meaning, if if you decide to open carry and you pay attention to your surroundings, uh, you won't be caught off guard as well, best as you can, right? Well, I, but it only talking, takes one time though, to get media. caught off guard. We're talking takes about one. social media. More yeah, 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 yeah. You know what but I mean? that's what he's talking about social media too. If someone, if someone's like you're saying, someone knows that you're carrying it yeah. and what you have, you know, they may not be as willing to give you an opportunity to react. You I know, you. they may yeah, that's come true. blazing first, right? And, and it only takes one time to get caught slipping, to not be on your game, to be yeah. sitting in your car on your cell phone. It, mm-hmm. it only takes one time. So, you know, situational awareness, but also minimizing your exposure yeah. um, is, is also a good thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both. This was a great interview. Um, I'm going to get this up, man. This Fight for Justice series is rolling. You all offered a lot of great information. Uh, Black Bottom Gun Club. Uh, if you come through Detroit, it's different. Shout me out. But uh, you're going to see me. I, I want to see what these brothers are doing uh, and learn more about this whole thing because I am completely a novice and unaware of this. Uh, both of you all just gave a lot more perspective because I do consider myself as one of those people that has been conditioned to see the dangers of guns in the community. But with everything happening now, yeah. the awareness of the safety of it is more present. Yeah, we for appreciate sure, man. You, Thank man. you for Thank having you. us, man. Definitely. All right. Peace be. Peace. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.